self-organised, everything working. Uh, wouldn't it be great if we knew all of the unwritten rules of life? If all of a sudden, those unwritten rules could have been imparted to you, and then we could really have genuine success. You know, some of these unwritten rules have been around for a very, very long time. Like at some point in primary school, you learnt that walking on the cracks in the footpath, no, 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 we don't do that. Or you also probably learnt a little bit later on in primary school that on your birthday, everyone has permission to punch you in the arm for however many years you've been alive. Right? And I reckon it was about high school I learned that only the cool kids sat on the back seat of the bus. Was that your experience too? Did you ever get there? No. Well, I did because I was the last one off on the bus. So by the time everyone filled it out, I had the whole bus to myself. Um, but there are rules that we learn over time. But I reckon there's all other rules that we come to know and... and, and can I just talk to, to the guys here for a moment? Because guys, there are a few rules about women that I've gathered over the years. Women, shh, turn these things off just for a minute. First of all is that women never have anything to wear. They might have a, I was going to say pantry, but they might have a wardrobe full of clothes, but no, no, they don't have anything to wear. All right? We just need to understand that she's got nothing to wear okay guys um also like we can take five minutes to be ready a lot of us heard a scoff over there but a lot of us can just take five minutes to get ready and that might not always be the case with women so particularly young men need to learn to be patient now this one's a bit touchy but women never want an honest answer to the question, how do I look? And if women ever ask, if a woman ever asks, does my butt look big in this? It's a trap. There's no right answer. But ladies, um, you might well be thinking, hang on there, Aaron. There are some rules about men that I know too. And yes, there certainly are some rules about men. One of those is as guys, we never need help. There's, no, we don't need help. You could, you know, we could be completely lost, have no idea where we are, but no, we never need help. You know, we, don't, we certainly don't need to ask for directions. Oh my goodness. Another one is um, being faster or better or stronger or, or cleverer really matters to us. So, you know, you can't always suggest a better way, uh, even if it is better. And, you know, we don't like being beaten in a board game, in arm wrestling, anything really. Our fragile egos really don't cope with it. Um, other things is that we, we have selective sight and hearing. Um, we can spot a new model car a kilometre away, but, and also probably notice a new burger joint under construction, but don't expect us to notice that haircut that you might have got today or last week, or that you're wearing a new outfit. We, we might not notice those things. And when, you're watching, when we're watching footy on TV, we will listen intently to every word of the commentary, if it's good. 
Um, but may not remember anything precious you've ever said to us. And if you ever hear the phrase, yes, dear, you really do must know in that moment we haven't heard a word you've said. <laughs> also emotions, like strong emotions are reserved for things like sports, cars, gadgets. Otherwise, there's probably no discernible difference whether we're angry or hungry or sad or asleep. Um, one mood sort of fits all. Um, for some of us and also when we do a minor chore around the house like emptying the dishwasher we're going to act like we've just cleaned the whole house and we deserve a few hours off for a reward just smile and sigh now I don't actually know if any of those rules are true um, but certainly you know that we were made differently guys and girls and if you don't know the rules though and really whoever does if no one ever explains them to you, it's going to be really hard to be successful in our relationships. So wouldn't it be good if someone could sit us down and explain all the rules? If someone sat down with us and explained all the rules, mapped out an entire strategy for us so we could be successful in our relationships? Husbands, wives, wouldn't that be really nice? But, I don't know, it's probably not real practical, is it? That's the journey of marriage, isn't it? Over many years you come to know these things. But you know what would be even better is if someone sat down and explained all the rules and mapped out an entire strategy for us so that we could be successful with life. You know, there's something we all want to be. We all want to be successful in life. But we need someone who understands it all to sit us down and explain the whole thing to us. And you know what? There are some circumstances where that actually happens. In the military, there's a battle plan and the battle plan is communicated from the top down and the idea is that here's the battle plan. Here is how to be successful. On the sporting field, a coach has a strategy, a game plan. Here's how we're going to win. And wouldn't it be great if someone could sit us down and do that with us in our everyday life, in our Christian life? Wouldn't it be fantastic if Jesus would sit down with us, look at our life, look at our relationships, how things are at home, at church, at school, in our workplace, look to our future, look at our struggles and our opportunities. And if Jesus would look us in the eye and say, here's the game plan for your life. Here is how you're going to win. Here's how you can be my faithful disciple on this crazy planet. Here's how you can be effective at winning your friends to also become my disciples. I've made you and designed you to be a success on this planet. Here's how you do it. Well, I believe Jesus has done that. And he's given us a whole new way to succeed. We're going to be starting uh, in the book of Matthew chapter 5 today. We'll continue next week. We're starting in Matthew 5, unpacking a bit of this game plan, if you like, for life. So in Matthew 5, Jesus has just called his first disciples. They've heard him teaching the crowds. They've seen him healing the sick. They've watched him casting out demons. There are large crowds being attracted to Jesus. And he wants to take them aside and sit them down like a coach before a footy game and show them his disciples, show them his, his game plan for how to live as a success in life for him how to be a successful disciples. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Um, I'm not clicking. There we go. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him saying, 
and he began, came to him and he began to teach them, saying... There's a weird point to stop there, isn't it? Because it's before he actually says anything. But I want to ask, are you prepared to listen? Jesus is sitting down, ready to give the game plan, ready to give information about how to be successful at life. Are we ready to listen? See, because in the next moments, he's going to go through and he's going to take eight blessed statements. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And he's going to make eight of those statements in verses 3 through 12. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the merciful, blessed are those who are persecuted, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are peacemakers, uh, blessed are you when people insult you. I sort of get the picture that Jesus wants us to know what being blessed looks like. So what does it mean to be blessed? Blessed is a difficult word to translate precisely. Other Bible translations have used words like happy, fortunate or spiritually prosperous, but they don't quite convey the full meaning either. The person who's blessed is the person who is to be envied because they've got what God wants them to have. So Jesus is about to describe the sorts of things he calls genuine success. And as he goes through the list, he's going to turn our, our view of success upside down. So if we asked around for a, a description of, who you, of, of attributes you might call successful, I reckon most people would come up with things like, words like rich, strong, happy, powerful, has the best of everything, lots of friends, climbed over everyone to get to the top, great personality, popular. The list could go on and on. The message from Jesus in Matthew 5 is that your view of success might not be big enough. It's almost like Jesus is saying, I want to give you a bigger view of success. Imagine him challenging us on this point. I want to change forever the way you look at success. So I want to broach this with maybe a, a new definition of success that you might maybe not have heard coined before. But success means feeling good because you're achieving something good you'd probably have to agree that that's a pretty good description or, or um, you know, uh, definition of success. Let's have a closer look. You, you might be a successful business person, so this is feeling good, um, or you might even be a, a champion sports person, or you might be a, a, you know, a top-notch muso. You could be Mr. or Miss Popular at your school or at your workplace. You could have finished your year 12 and got amazing marks, you could be making lots of money or whatever. You might achieve everything possible in your world, but still not feel good about it. Imagine achieving something great, but not feeling satisfied. Imagine being on top and still being empty. Imagine accumulating all the goodies you can possibly dream of and not enjoying any sense of satisfaction or pleasure at all. You know, there are stacks of people like that. Great musicians, amazing sports champions, multi-billionaires, people who have all the rewards of success, but who live very unfulfilled and unhappy lives. Success is not worth achieving unless you feel good about it. So success means feeling good because you're achieving something good. So to be successful doesn't just mean completing what you set out to achieve. 
What you achieve has to be something worthwhile, something beneficial, something really worth achieving, something good. If you don't achieve something which is good, then you end up with a warped view of being successful. If you take this crucial factor out of the equation, then you would conclude that the most successful man of 2001 was Osama bin Laden. Because he had a plan, executed his plan to near perfection. But you have to ask, is what he achieved really worth it? Was it beneficial? Was it good? I don't think Osama bin Laden is someone who you would look at and say, he's so successful, I want to be like him. So if you take the achieving something good out, that's what you end up with. In the 20th century, if you do the same thing, then Hitler was very successful. But I want to have a look at somebody else from the 20th century. Mother Teresa of Calcutta. I mean, she's a well-known person. Is she a, success, a, a picture of success? I don't know. She was born poor and died poor. She had none of the trappings that we normally associate with success. She dedicated her entire life to caring for poverty-stricken, starving, HIV-infected peasants in the cultural backwaters of India. But check back to our definition of success. Feeling good because you're achieving something good. Is Mother Teresa a picture of success? Most definitely, absolutely she is. What she achieved is real success. Feeling good because you're achieving something good. Wouldn't it be great for you to achieve that too? Wouldn't it be great if you could feel good because you're, you know that you are achieving something good? Wouldn't it be fantastic to feel satisfied because you're achieving the things that are actually worth achieving? Well, I want to look at those eight pictures that Jesus gave us of the person who's blessed. His eight definitions of success, that will probably turn our ideas upside down. The first of those is poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, probably the first thing we think of to describe someone who's successful is the word rich. Yet the first word that Jesus uses to describe someone who is successful is the word poor. Jesus describes people who are poor in spirit. That is, people who know that they are spiritually poor. And spiritually poor simply means people who know that they can't make it to God themselves. Jesus' first picture of success is someone who knows that they really need God. And I'm reminded of a story about two blokes that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. They decide to go into a church to pray. You know, one of them, well, I wouldn't say he's the most upstanding character. He's probably never prayed before. He knew he didn't deserve to be there, and so he sort of skulks down the back of the church. He kneels down, he keeps his head bowed low, and he prayed, God, have mercy on me, because I'm a sinful man. The second bloke also worked in, walked into that church to pray. And uh, this was a good man, one of the best, a holy, righteous person, a leader in his church. He felt confident before God. He walked right up to the front of the church and prayed bold and loud in a triumphant voice, God, I praise you that you've made me good. Thank you that I am honest. 
Thank you that I give so much to the poor. Thank you that I attend church once a day and twice on Sundays. And thank you you've made me to be so much better than that miserable man cowering down the back. Jesus makes the point about the story that only one of those men did the right thing that day and it wasn't the man who looked and acted successfully. It was the man who came before God who felt, who knew deep down in his heart that he desperately needed God. You know, that's the crux of the gospel. We can't do it on our own. We need God. We cannot bring hope to others if we do not have hope ourselves. If we have not come to the point where we have realized that we do not have enough, we are spiritually poor. And when we come to that point of knowing that we are spiritually poor, then we are truly blessed. Then we are successful because we will receive the one thing that's really worth having, the kingdom of heaven. Picture two, those who mourn. Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. One of the key words that we would use to um, think or, or describe of someone who's successful is the word happy. Yet Jesus now descri describes someone who is success as being someone who mourns. And it doesn't just mean being upset because something rotten has happened to us. It really means it's really got to do with being upset by the same things that upset God. Jesus is talking about a person who's upset by the sin that they see. How do you feel when you see sin in our world? Does it get you when people are taking advantage of others? How do you feel about the sin in your own life? Does it matter to you that you do stuff that's wrong? If you're genuinely upset by the sin you see when you see the stuff ops that make you and you know that, that sin that just sits there lying in your life, are you saddened by that? Does that weigh you down? Does sin really upset you? If that describes you, then Jesus is basically saying, well, congratulations, you are the one who is truly blessed. You are the one who is to be envied above all. You are a success. You are successful because you will receive the one thing that you really need. You will be comforted. Picture three is the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You know, meek is one of those words that doesn't get much of a run these days. No one ever really wants to admit being meek. You don't see the latest Marvel superheroes being meek. Uh, and it's, it's probably some, sometimes even you know, used as a bit of an insult. Someone who's a bit weak, someone who's a bit wishy-washy. And unfortunately, it does rhyme with weak, geek, freak. But there's a real strength in the word meek. You see, meek does not equal weak. Meek does not equal wimp. Being meek simply means keeping your strength under control. That's the way Jesus is described in Matthew 21.5. See your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That word gentle, which is used to, to portray Jesus, is exactly the same word as the word meek here that Jesus uses to describe the truly successful person. And that description of Jesus on the donkey is talking about the day when he would ride in as king to the city of Jerusalem and be hailed by admiring crowds. Certainly not a picture of weakness. 
Meekness means strength under control. Think of a huge, big, semi-trailer truck, thousands of horsepower, just absolutely barreling down the road. Now think of that same might and power of that massive engine stopped by a single red light. A red light has no power to stop that massive strength of a truck, but it can bring control. Strength under control. That's meek. Strength under control. Does that describe you? Are you the person who doesn't try and force their own way? Are you willing to tame your strength and give up your rights, maybe, so you can be gentle and caring with others? Are you okay if you stop trying to force your ideas in your own way, even though you know you could? Do you have that humility? Are you willing to give up anything? Because Jesus says, if you're willing to give up anything, you will gain everything. Read again what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 5. He said, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. No wonder Jesus describes meek people as successful. And then look at what they'll inherit. Not just a small reward, not just a free set of steak knives. No, you will inherit the whole earth. Meek, that is Jesus' picture of success. Does that describe you? Strength under control in a gentle way. That you're willing to give up everything. You don't try to force your way. Are you like that? If so, Jesus says, congratulations. As you are a success in God's eyes, you will inherit the new creation that God is making. Picture four, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Jesus is describing people who really want to see the world run his way. People who are just longing for the day when Jesus will return and put an end to this mess. You know, when you look around your home, do you hunger and thirst to see it run God's way? Around your school or around your workplace? When you look around at your life, you just ache to see the way that you live turned around by God's Holy Spirit. Does your heart yearn and say, I really want things done God's way? We're not talking about a person who just shrugs their shoulders and says, "Eh, yeah, I wish it could be better. We're talking about someone who is hungry and thirsting for righteousness, to see things work out right. Notice Jesus talks about people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. He's talking about people who have a deep inward longing for things to be done God's way. He's not just talking about snacking on righteousness. You know, as Christians, we sometimes just snack on righteousness, just have a little bit of righteousness, just enough to look good as a Christian. But maybe if you've just been snacking, you may never have actually taken Jesus seriously. See, because he wants us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not just have a spiritual munchie at the, at the righteousness snack shack. It's almost like sometimes we're okay with the temptation to be content having spiritual junk food. A little fix here and there, a little bit now and then. Righteousness is not meant to be a little snack, people. It's not meant to give you a, a quick spiritual fix. Something that makes us feel good now, but 
really doesn't change anything about us. If you're truly hungry and thirsty for something, you do almost anything to make it happen. Are you absolutely hungering and thirsting to see God's righteousness unleashed in our world and in your world, in your relationships, in your home, in your workplace, in your spheres of influence, in your personal life? Does that describe you? If so, Jesus says, congratulations, you are the one who is truly blessed. You are the one who is to be envied above all as successful because the one thing you are really hoping for, it will happen. You will be satisfied. You will be filled. Picture 5 is the merciful. Matthew 5 verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Merciful. You show someone mercy. Help someone when they don't deserve it. You're not looking to pay back even when they're wrong. The person who does that is a success in God's eye. Oh, you know, it's really easy to help nice people. You know, when someone's really nice to you, it's, it's really easy just to, yeah, I'll help you, certainly. It's really hard to help the people that are nasty, isn't it? To show them mercy. It does not come naturally to us. We're not built that way. But God says that's when you become successful, is you sh- when you show mercy to people who didn't deserve it. See, he had mercy on us when we didn't deserve it. He died for us while we were still sinners. He even reached out with forgiveness for those who were driving the nails into his hands. Is that the way you want to treat others? Do you truly want to treat people the same way that Jesus treated you? Is that what your heart yearns for? Does that describe you? If so, Jesus says, congratulations, you are the one who is truly blessed. You are the person who God loves to show mercy Picture six is the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Jesus is describing someone whose heart is absolutely sincere in following him. He's describing someone who isn't pretending with God. He's describing the person who doesn't only act like a Christian when they're around their Christian friends and then dishonors God with their life when they're away from those same people. Jesus is after people who don't pretend with him. People who don't try and hide things from him. The pure in heart. Is that your heart? Can you wholeheartedly say, I'm not pretending to be a Christian? If you're not hiding from God at all, congratulations, you are a success. And guess why? If you're not hiding from God, then God will not hide from you. The promise of Jesus in verse 8 is sure and certain to those who are pure in heart, you will see God. Picture 7, the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Jesus is describing someone who is totally at peace with God, someone who is totally forgiven by Jesus, someone who is a close friend of God, where there's no barrier between the two of you. And when you have experienced that, that, that true peace from God, you'll want to live in that same sort of peace with all the other people around you. You will live at peace with your family. You'll live at peace with your friends. You will live at peace with your enemies. Does that describe you? Think about your situation at home. Are you a peacemaker? Do you help bring peace 
to the relationships that you have in your home, in your workplace, at school. Think about this. Do things become more peaceful at home when you are there? Or do you have a sneaking suspicion that they're more peaceful when you're away? That's a really good test, isn't it? You apply that to anywhere you go. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Does that describe you? Does your heart want to forgive and accept others? If you're bringing the peace of God to the relationships around you, then Jesus says, congratulations, you are the one who is truly blessed. You are the one who is to be envied above all. You are successful because you are God's child. Picture 8, persecuted for righteousness. Matthew 5.10, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's imagine that you're being a genuine disciple, that you're successful by the way Jesus has described here. I uh, you think back over the pictures that we've already painted for us, admitting that you're spiritually poor, grieving over your sin, meek with your strength under control, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, bringing God's peace. But that isn't going to exactly bring you into the cool crowd, is it? It's not going to make you the popular kid. It's not going to like, set you apart and above and make our world, who has completely different standards, think that you're super successful. It's not going to give you free membership to the in crowd. In fact, you might get picked on, people might make fun of you, you might run the risk of being persecuted because of righteousness. And persecution can take many forms. In your workplace, it may be that you are on the outer because you hold different values to the other people that you work with. You don't continue to entertain the thoughts and the same actions that they do. You don't use the same vocabulary that they do. You might make a stand on an issue that might cause a bit of a rift and a bit of a challenge. I remember once when I was working at the cemetery, um, an email came out to the whole site um, about... The Bachelorette, that horrible TV show where a lady's trying to look for a partner for a fella and so she dates 24 of them or something at the same time. You know, wholesome viewing. And uh, a few of the girls from the cemetery um, got together and one of them was the entire site manager and they were going to do a sweeps so you could pay a few dollars and you pick a fella, one of the 24, and they put all their photos up, you know, the beach bodies, all the photos up on the, on the staff bo notice board. And you could go and you could pay your couple of dollars and if that was the person, you won the sweeps. So I was walking past the staff room one day and um, the, 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 the girls were there putting the posters up, you know, of these scantily clad men. And... Um, I said, oh, Aaron, do you want to be involved? And I said, no, thanks. I don't appreciate the objectification of men. And they laughed. They thought I was hilarious. They thought I was joking. Oh, no, 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 seriously, do you, you want to be involved? No, I don't agree with the objectification of men, particularly in the workplace. And they were like, huh? I'm like, okay, let's turn the tables around. Imagine I'd done this and put a whole bunch of pictures of scantily clad women in bikinis on this board, would that be okay? Oh. They went, oh. 
And, I, and they said, so you don't want to be involved? <laughs> I said, uh, nah. <laughs> and continued on my way. Well, no more emails came out and I wasn't ever spoken to again about that um, particular issue and a few others I wasn't included in either, let's just say. Um, you know, and, and it wasn't necessarily the most easiest workplace to be in for a while when your boss's boss thinks that you're a, you know, a, a, a party pooper or whatever, like a, a stick in the mud, someone who just wants to tear their fun, fun down, be the fun police. Uh, it wasn't great for a while. Persecution can come in many forms, but I believe that when we stand for what is right, for principles of conviction, that it's worth it. That's hungering and thirsting for righteousness. That's, that's here picture eight, being persecuted for righteousness, not necessarily because we want to, but because our values don't align with the values of the world. You know, standing up for convictions certainly will make us stand out in a world where basically anything goes. And standing, might, standing out might mean that you're not part of the in crowd. And Jesus says, if you're going to stand up for me, you've got to risk being rejected. Matthew 5.11 Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Has that ever happened to you? How did it feel? A lot of us have probably been in a position. It doesn't feel great. And Matthew 5.12 says, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecute the prophets who were before you. If you're going to put Jesus' radical teaching into action in your life, You've got to risk being rejected by the cool crowd. You've got to risk being persecuted. Why? Because they persecuted Jesus. And if you're going to be like Jesus, at some stage you're going to be persecuted too. John fifteen twenty, Jesus said, If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. See, Jesus got strung up on a cross because he stood for God's righteousness. If you're going to make a stand for Jesus, then you need to realise that the same thing might well happen to you. Can you honestly say that for the sake of Jesus, I'm prepared to risk being rejected? And if so, Jesus says, congratulations. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, if you're being persecuted because you're a member of God's kingdom, congratulations, because you are a member of God's kingdom. Picture nine. Huh? Hold on, Aaron. You said eight. I thought we were finished. I want to go home. No. Picture nine. Jesus has given us eight pictures of success, but they're, no, they're really of no importance without picture nine. Because without picture nine, these previous eight pictures can just be theoretical. Jesus wants you to be a success, and so picture nine is a picture of you. So how are you going at being successful, at being the success, successful person that Jesus wants you to be? Remember our different definition of success? Feeling good, 
because you're achieving something good? What are you achieving? What are you spending your time and effort on in your life? What makes you feel good because you're getting on top of it? And here's a really important question. Is it something that's really worth achieving? Wouldn't it be terrible if you got to the end of your life and you look back at all the things that you'd achieved and then you work out that none of it was really worth achieving? Would it be wise to end up spending all your time doing stuff that didn't really matter? So what is really worth achieving? Well, it's simple. Becoming the person that God has designed you to be and doing what God has called you to do. It's not rocket science. Is it something you're game to put all of your heart and soul into? You know, as we come toward Vision Sunday on November 20, it's a timely thing to ask. Next week I'm going to talk a little bit more about that, about how as disciples we can make a difference and about how as disciples we can change lives and in fact change the world. Because the most important thing that we can be successful at is sharing the gospel. But it's important that we start today with an understanding of what the Bible tells us success really is. How are you going achieving the success that Jesus wants for your life? What are the good things that you are achieving that make you feel good? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for the fact that you have sat down that Lord, your son Jesus has given this instruction. He's sat down and he's, he's taught what it means to be successful at life. Lord, I pray that each person here would truly be blessed by you. Because those eight pictures, Lord, are reflected in our lives. Lord, I pray that, that we would, would open our, our understanding and our, our own mind to, to what success really is and make it as big as your idea of success. We would not narrow it down to the things this world narrows it down to. But Lord, we would expand it to include all the things that, Lord, you value, that you cherish. And that, Lord, we would definitely feel good because we're achieving something good for you. Spur us on in love and good deeds. Thank you, Father. Amen. Well, we're going to conclude our service with the foundation of our faith. And one of those things that I think sums up a song that sums up is Cornerstone. You know, Christ is not only the firm foundation. We started there, we are ending there as well as we sing about the the cornerstone that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus. That same Jesus who has given us those instructions on how to be successful in life. We can now worship him. Why don't you stand as we sing?